Like I've known you for a couple of years now, and I know what you do for a living. Like in in, in basic. Uh, I was gonna say in theory, but it's not even. It's like I have a basic understanding of what you do, but I don't have even remotely any kind of real understanding as to like how. I, like I know you went to law school, and I know that was an integral part of it. Like it was a I like pretty much a, unless you get like a good old boy in like yeah. the industry. You know, you have to go to law school to do what you did. But now, now that you're out of the law school part, it's the thing. It's like you know, it's like it's like if you were a sports agent, everybody wants your job. Or it's like if you're a talent agent, everybody wants yeah. your job. Like, oh man, I want to hang out with the with the, the actors and go to the Golden Globes. That that sort of thing. Um, and it's it's something that like, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna edit that part off too. That's like a running joke right now, man. We're just like sitting here. It's like anytime we have trash, we're like, through. I'm like. One for 26 in the last two weeks. You have a backboard, but okay. No, nonetheless. Nonetheless. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much the... Uh, sure. yeah, that's all it is. So, uh... Nah, I, I look... Is your last name... Is it... Is it... It's Young? No. It's Yusuf. But that's actually my middle name. My last name is Nat. It's K-N-A-T. It is Nat. Yeah, Juan. My middle name is Yusuf. I usually go by Juan Yusuf. That's my dad's name. Okay. Y-U-S-U-F. Okay, yeah. See, I knew that part. All right. Um... Yeah, so that's it. We're uh, so I'm here today with uh, Juan Nat. Juan, I met. I think the first time we met was uh, at the Pell show where he opened for G with the clouds. Yep. Yeah, you were there. It was you, Pell, mm-hmm. and who was the third guy? Uh, it was probably Chris. But what manager? I think it was. Might have been Chris. Yeah, it was Chris. Man, and I, I think about that all the time because um, that was one of the first shows that G Easy had done that. For me and like Wayne and some of the other guys, and then Sife had been on the road with him for years. Like yeah, Sife yeah. will go to spots, but but like that was the first time that I had kind of seen G at his current level. Mm-hmm. Like that was the beginning of him being at his current level. And like you know, I'd seen him do to the Republic in two thousand and nine and ten when he was at that level. Yeah. Then you know you got like that twelve, thirteen, fourteen level, mm-hmm. and then that was what probably that was probably right at. 15 at 14 15 mm-hmm. at that level and i had never heard of appell like i had yeah. never heard of appell october 2014 oh that's what it was mm-hmm. so damn my memory's pretty good i had never heard of appell but uh we were early uh we caught the we caught you guys setting up mm-hmm. and i just remember being in the green room thinking man who is this fucking black kid with these cotton fucking clouds, I was like, "What? The, what?" I was like, I, "I, I, like." Admittedly, I was just like, "What the fuck you think he's going?" It go? takes like, so long to build them clouds. Bro. I'm like, "What? What does he think he's?" I'm like, "Man, okay, like whatever, bro." But like, I respect <laughs> your set, the the set design, and then like Jared just blew me the fuck away, man. Like <laughs> shit, he gets up there with the MP. Was the MP? Yeah, it was the MPC, and the just like pump and Pell. Uh, I saw Jamie do a mm-hmm. set at the Willow a couple months back, and it's like a handful of other people, man, that I've seen live for the first time, and it's just like, well, damn, brother, you doing like this mm-hmm. is what you need to be doing, like, like yep. you you got to figure it out. It wasn't like walk up on the stage telling some random DJ to run a playlist mm-hmm. that you made on the iTunes three minutes later. Um, mm-hmm. But then you were there to, yeah. to, 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 to to circle back to what we're doing here. You were there, and it's like you still are always with Pell, so it's like. And then Chris too, who's still his manager. So, like, that to me speaks a lot to, 
like like long term team building. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's like you know I've I've done enough talking like you know. Tell me, tell me, you know, I guess, uh, not tell me, uh, I don't know, man, just start from, from start from the beginning, I uh, guess, as like, far as, like, who are you, I mean, and, like, like, how do we get here? Oh, goodness, well, I'm, I'm just a kid from Uptown, I'm, so you I'm from, from New York? Yeah, I'm from Holly Grove, my grandma raised me, uh, my parents, they weren't really around, um, I still have a great relationship with both my parents, but my dad's mom raised me, um. My, neither of my parents graduated from high school, so my, my grandma was like, no, we're about to do something completely different. So she sent me to Country Day when I was like six. So I went to Country Day for 10 years. That's where I met Jerry. That's where I met Christopher Anderson, who was Jeezy's like first like main producer. Like We were all in the elementary school band together. I remember. So, well, where's Christoph at now? Christoph is in L.A. doing everything. Like He has like a group that he's doing called Joan. Like, it's, it's him and some other guy, and they're like make, he makes the beats, and the guy sings. And Of course, he's still doing production for G and other people and things like that. Christoph is the man. Christoph is truly the man. But that's how, that's how honestly, we all met. Damn, bro, you went, to right there. you went to Country Day? Second grade Country Day. Fuck. Christoph was in room six. Jared was in room two or room five. I was in room one. <laughs> Damn, All dog. in the same grade. You went to country day? Fuck, yeah. man. You got that good education, bro. bro. It was, it was, I was But the thing is, like, I was smart before I got to country day. Yeah. I learned how to read when I was, like, three years old. And when I got out of the little, the little kindergarten where I was at, it was a little nursery school. My mom sent me to, to Newman. And at first, Newman wasn't trying to accept me because they thought I was too young. Because I'm, like, a year younger from my grade. Like, okay. I was trying to start there when I was, like, four years old or something. And I went there, and they were like, okay, we'll, we'll keep him here for a second. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And it went well, but my cousin went to Country Day. She was like, he's at Newman. No. So they took me out of Newman and put, put me in Country Day, and the rest was history. Until around, like, junior year, I got kicked out because this kid called me something that he shouldn't have called me, and I choked him out, and it was a situation. But I bounced back, though. It was all good. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you finish Looking at? back on it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I ended up going to Lusher. I finished at Lusher. Um, okay. The college counselor at Lusher is the one who introduced me to the place where I went to college at. It's called Morehouse College. Um, it's in Atlanta. It's a historically black college. It's all male. It's right next to Spelman College, which is all female, and across the street from Clark, from Clark Atlanta University, which is like co-ed but 70% female. So it's like you're going to an all-boys school, but there's nothing but girls surrounding. And you can cross-register at all the other different schools. So like I took Spanish at Spelman, and I was the only guy in the class. And it was girls taking classes at Morehouse and stuff. So it was all just one little big, you know little black area. Oh, yeah, it's, man, cool. uh, it's called the Atlanta University Center. But I didn't know that that existed until I went to Lusher Country. They didn't tell me nothing about that. My guy at Lusher told me about it. I applied, got in with a presidential scholarship, and that was it. I wanted to go to Columbia, but they didn't give me no money. So In New York, right? Yep. Man, uh, Wayne always talks about that Atlanta University Center. Uh, yeah. I mean, I got, admittedly, uh, I got put onto it by like TV and movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I saw your I saw your track pants. You got your Morehouse tracks on today. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, no, it's tight, man. I, I I have a. And this is gonna sound like pandering a little bit, but I have a ton of respect for HBCUs because they, even though like every year, every couple of years, it seems like there's a controversy with mm-hmm. one, but they're still HBCUs, you know, yeah. and they, and they they've remained that way, and they they do welcome in other they they, they welcome in and, minorities, yeah. who, you know, because you're not it's a major, majority black school. Mm-hmm. But like I have friends who went to law school at Southern, and mm-hmm. I have you know, and who are not black, and they you know they enjoy, it. and I think that's good for people. Like I think yeah. because 
it seems like a, a lot nowadays, like when you run, like you talk, you talk about that country day incident, yeah. right? And I, I, I get what you're saying with the the context yeah. of it. Man, to to think that way at that age, that's that's probably a taught behavior. Exactly. You know, like. And since then, these guys have grown up, and we've become friends, and yeah. you know, we talk about things now. Yeah. But I understand that at that age, you're just emulating what you see. So if that's what you see at home, if that's you know, if that's the hidden truth. It's gonna come out through you before it's gonna come out through your parent. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's exactly. Because like, <laughs> you literally might have been one of like, like how many how many black kids were at Country Day at that time? <laughs> um, I mean, in my class we had like four or five, maybe like in the whole high school, fifteen. So it's like, <laughs> with the exception of when they leave their neighborhoods, mm-hmm. you know, which are oh, predominantly yeah. one way. We're like the only black kids they know. Us and the black kids that go to Newman and St. Martin's and the other, like, yeah. And then those, just to be honest, from the outside looking in, especially like the the, the kids who are getting to go to Newman, yeah, St. Martin's Country Day, they're the comfortable black kids, and they're getting afforded, <laughs> even if they're like, even if they're coming from a situation where like you're being mm-hmm. raised by your grandparents, yeah, you are like the the home life that's propelling you on this trajectory, yeah, is probably not the same home life that's propelling, let's say the the random urban, like I just say inner city urban yeah. youth that they're running into so it's like they're just they look at you they see they 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 then they're resonating that with just whatever they can mm. yeah like you said it's just learned behavior yeah. and it's like now when people get into their 20s and 30s you know now it's just who you are if you're that way you know exactly but uh that's crazy man i didn't know that that's yeah yeah that was, that is, was but lusher's a lusher's a good school itself it's a damn good school that was the thing like country day was very predominantly white and traditional mm-hmm. and whatnot and lush was kind of half and half like it's like i want to say it's about 55 percent black like 30 40 percent white and then you got your other latinos and asian peoples mixed in yeah. and it was it was cool little like melting pot and it's also an art school so it was a different vibe for me whereas country day is like more so like trying to get you on academics either that or athletics yeah we have good athletics Lush is just straight like arts, but 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 Country Day is a fairly small school, right? Yeah, like class one oh, or yeah. or A or something like really small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're yeah my 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 high school class was like fifty some people. Like, Damn. Yeah, the tuition's probably crazy. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I was I know my mom wasn't paying the full amount, but it's like twelve or something like that. Like if you're paying all that, but it's like it's like college tuition. It's like twelve fifteen racks a year for. A lot of kids to end up going to LSU. I wish people could see my face. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so, but 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 you but you but okay. So going so you went to Morehouse. What you majoring in Morehouse? Political science with a minor in Spanish. When I went to Morehouse, I originally wanted to be a psychology major, but I took some classes and it was so much about like chemistry and like brain synapses. And it was really sciencey. Like, I wanted to be a psychologist because I, I went to one when I was a kid just to, like, talk about things and it helped, like, you know, just like this. Like, I like talking to people and, mm-hmm. you know, learning from people and, you know, social shit. And that that wasn't what psychology was going to be for me. It was a whole lot of science. So I was like, nah, that's cool. So what should I do instead? So when I'm thinking about that, I'm like, well, I got to make good grades. So what did I do best in high school? English and history. I'm not going to be an English major not really sure about being a history major, so I took some political science course, and I was like, okay, this is this is history, but it's the right kind of history for me. So, ended up being a political science major. I feel you, man. Like, I, I that was 
and it, and another thing for me was that was one of the harsh realities of college. Like I wanted to be like I went to college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And like in the first month, I was like, okay, I'm thinking either be a journalist because that, that was intriguing to me. Like I like to write. I was like, or be I was I was gonna go to be a sports agent. Yeah. But I had told myself prior to college, like, look, I'm not going to law school. I'm not going to dental school. I'm not going to med school. I want to do four or five years. Get the fuck out. I'm done. I'm tired of school. And just that little bit of like having to go to law school, I was like, "Uh, nah, I'm going to just go rule sports agent out. Because it's like, like you, like, and and, I mean, I should have thought of this. And now looking back, I I, should have done it just to have it under my belt as a backup. But like, I felt the same way about science as you. Like all the science, mm-hmm. science is just too sciencey for me. Yeah. Like, uh, and as you get older, you understand like why you gotta have a foundation to do all that shit. And okay. the same with that. I was like, man, well, fuck. If I'm gonna go to law school, I'm just gonna be a goddamn lawyer. I'm not gonna be a sports agent. Like, I'm gonna be a lawyer. Um. So, but you came back and did uh, you? You came back and came to school here, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, got around like my junior year. Political science major, Spanish minor. I'm like, okay, what, year what is am this? I about to do with this? I graduated in 2014, so this is like 2012, 2013. I'm thinking of this. Were you affected by Katrina in high school at all? Yeah, okay. yeah I lost everything I ever had. So what'd you do? Where'd you go to school for that year? Um, we left like the day before the storm because I know, I, my, like, my house is on Palmetto Street, like right in front of the 17th Street Canal. Okay, like so when it overflowed, yeah. like it was, that was it. So we were in Dallas, and I went to school out there for like a semester. And then they said that Country Day was opening up in the spring. Mm-hmm. And my grandma, who I was living with, her sister, my aunt, she stays in Gentilly. And you know, those little houses are on like hills and stuff. She yeah. stays by like Brother Martin. So yeah. her house didn't get affected. Yeah. So when they said they were opening up Country Day, my grandma was like, nah, he's not going to school out here no more. We going back. And we ended up staying with my aunt for like the next four or five years as we rebuilt our house. And I was still going to Country Day. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I know so, when I met Pell, I, I I was trying to figure out how he ended up at, at Mississippi State, and that's what yeah. he says. He, they, his family, they moved. Yeah, he had just left Country Day. He had started at Saint Aug like two weeks before Katrina, and then Katrina happened, and he ended up finishing out in Mississippi in Jackson. Yeah. And then it went to college out there, Mississippi State. Yeah. We didn't really reconnect until like the summer before my was it my no summer before my senior year, the summer before my senior year. So this is like right when I'm pretty sure that I'm about to go to law school and stuff and some before your senior year of college yes yeah, oh wow so, so about four years yeah yeah it had, it had been a minute I hadn't seen Jerry since like seventh eighth grade damn like I mean I think we had talked on the internet or something but I hadn't seen him so he hits me up and he's like yo I'm in town like you trying to hang out so he came and put me up from the house and he's like yo you know I'm rapping now and stuff. so we're sitting on the back side of my block and his Honda Element and he starts playing me the tunes and I'm like hold up hold up pause wait you're actually really, really good at this shit, and yeah. you're different, and your sound is positive. Like I'm thinking, there's nothing but positive shit, man. I'm like, wait, fuck, he's the man. Yeah. So then we go to Cajun Seafood underneath the bridge on Claiborne, and we're getting something to eat, and we're sitting there still listening to some tunes, talking, and this man gets a phone call from Leor Cohen, like ex president of Def Jam. Like this is summer 2013. Okay, so summer 2013, you are. And I'm in. I'm. You still uh, in, based in Atlanta, pretty much. Yeah, still okay. based in Atlanta, but I'm in New Orleans at, at the time. And he's I'm working for the city attorney's office. And he's at Mississippi State. Yeah, I think he had just dropped out of Mississippi State to do rap full time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he never finished in Mississippi State. Okay. He got out, but I mean, it was worth it. Fucking right. <laughs> 
But we're sitting there eating, and Leroy Cohen calls his phone. He's like, hold up, this is Leroy Cohen. I'm like, wait, pause. <laughs> Ex-president of Def Jam, like founder of 300 Entertainment, now mm -hmm. president of YouTube Music, Leroy Cohen, Leroy Cohen. He's mm -hmm. like, yeah. And I can hear the accent through the phone. I'm like, motherfucker, this nigga's talking to Leroy Cohen. Yeah. So he gets off the phone. I'm like, bro, what the hell? He's like, yeah, Leroy's got this new thing called 300 Entertainment. Like, he wants me to, like, you know, you know, see about some stuff. And this is the beginning of 300, like not the 300 that we know now, Young Thug, Migos, Yachty, all those guys. Yeah, because this is the very, very beginning. Yeah. So Leo was trying to get Pell with that, but eventually, you know, it didn't work out because Pell, he he was really just starting, so he couldn't command the type of you know deal that he wanted to command. He would just have to take whatever Leo was trying to give him, and that wasn't about to happen. Which just shows that yeah. Leo Cohen's on his shit, you know, on his shit, because he knew about Pell. Way like if he was talking to him in summer 2013, he probably found out about him in winter 2012, something like that. Yeah, and I didn't know he was rapping in winter 2012. That, I knew he was, I know since I was, six. and then it's like this is 2013, so we're talking real like Instagram isn't really an influencer thing, really. Yet, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, Twitter's still like. Really, really big, big at that time. I'm like, trying to think of how music's being distributed. Like, SoundCloud wasn't what it was. Oh, no. This is, like, the very, very beginning of that stream. I'm trying to think of how you would have heard his music. The very, very... Somebody got it to him. That's crazy, man. I have no idea how, but somebody got it to him. And it was at that moment, like, before, like, when we were sitting on my block listening to music, I took it seriously. But when that happened, I was like, all right, bet. All right, bet. Because when I was thinking about going to law school, I wanted to go to Tulane because Tulane is the best school for sports law. I was thinking about being a sports agent. Everybody, like, and if then, you, like, if you can't, like, if you can't play ball. Yeah. It's like. But you know a whole bunch of ball players. Yeah. And you just want to be as close. And it's like, it's like, it seems like a fun thing to do yeah. while you're a young professional. It does. And then I got to law school and I figured out that sports law is all about federal arbitration and antitrust law. And it is boring and boring and boring as hell. Because big so business. I had no desire to do it and at that point Pell was blowing and blowing and blowing up even higher and higher so I was like you know what we're doing what I love to do because I've been a musician my whole life I love music like but I just never thought that you know you make I a would be able to make a living in music because I ain't know nobody in music like that like outside of New Orleans like who's making something happen you know unless it's jazz or something like that it wasn't gonna work and I wasn't doing jazz or bounce music so uh -huh. um so what you, you went to Loyola or Tulane Law? Tulane okay yeah and you just graduated this? Last year. Okay. May 20th, 2017, got out, and June 1st, I was in New York <laughs> working yeah. for a label. But you were working, you were kind of working on the music thing behind it, like, oh, yeah. all throughout yeah. college, right? Ever since that day, summer before senior year, when Jared and I met yeah. up, it's been, like, I'm a like a, a member of the team. Like, it was it was him and Chris starting out, like, going everywhere, just him and Chris. Chris sending all the emails, him sending emails, trying to get places and things like that. Then I came along and started helping out a little bit, you know, just going to different shows, just trying to help in any way that I possibly could and just learn. Like, I remember when he was mastering his first album, um, Floating Wild Dream, and he called me in the middle of the night. Like, I was writing a paper. This is like right before I graduated from college. And I woke up my girl at the time. We went to the studio, and I, you know, he was asking me things. And I'm just giving pointers like, oh, well, this sounds good. Or maybe you should do something different with this. Not knowing that that's laying the foundation for what I'm doing right now at 25. Like, that's A&R work. Like, yeah. going there with the artists and when they're unsure about something, you give some clarity. If you think something doesn't sound right, you bring it up. Like, and you don't be a yes man. You give your honest opinion and you, you state your facts and it is what it is. Either he goes with it or he doesn't. But 
that's what really taught me, you know, how to do that. And then going forward, when I, once I came back uh, home and started at Tulane, he was living in the city for maybe close to about eight to 10 months and recording like every day. So I go to class like my one L year and I get out and I'm going to pick up Jared and we're going to the studio. And I'm sitting there listening to him make music. We were all at 0017 with Jay Jones, so I went to preschool with, like, with Skip and Wop and Reem and all those other guys, and they're just making music. And I'm learning, I'm sitting there, you know, studying my law stuff, but I'm also learning the process of how to be in the studio, how to make music, what sounds good, what's somebody's creative process like, like, what works and what doesn't work. Like, should we have three bottles of Hennessy in the studio or should we just come with water? Like, is it going to be a productive studio session if you walk in and see four or five girls and hella blunts and bottles? Or should you just walk in and see the engineer, the manager, the artist, and the producer? And that should be, like, that's what really taught me, you know, just the, the basics. Let's talk about that. because cause, So that's what you're doing now, your A&R. Yeah. Man, that's probably, to me, I, that, because uh, the, with the, the base and secondary level knowledge I have of the music industry, that's, what I like that's the the the, the occupation that, that that stands out to me the most and it's the one that I think that more most people that's what they want to do mm-hmm. but they're they think they want to be managers or yeah. or uh or and like, it kind of all goes hand in hand it's just little but, but, nuances that are the difference but A&Rs can A&Rs just work on projects rather than like because most artists don't have an A&R it's like a, the yeah. project has an A&R correct it's well, I don't know. Like, it's kind of a, it's kind of an unreal yeah. rule to like educate the A&R, me. The A and R who signs the artist, yeah, that's his artist. Yeah. So yeah, he's the A and R. He's gonna be the A and R on uh, his project. A and R is a now artist and repertoire. Okay, yeah. as for artist and repertoire. Yeah. Now there are other A and Rs who work for the label or who work for whoever or mm-hmm. even just people that he trusts who are gonna help him with the process as well too. Like it's not just gonna be him and the artist. Like he's gonna let other people hear it because that's the only way to yeah. really narrow down 30, 40 songs into a 10 song project that makes sense and things like that. But traditionally, the A&R who goes out and finds the artist and you know, gets the clinch, signs the artist, that he's the one who goes forward with the artist on how to, yeah. you know. And you, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, like I said, but briefly familiar with that, like uh, yeah. Rocky Marciano mm-hmm. uh, or Sycamore. Uh, I, that was my next one. I was coming out Sycamore. Yeah. They're like the two big ones I can think of, you mm-hmm. know, because they're working with Lenny S. Lenny S. Uh, uh, Law. Yeah. From, yeah. Uh, from Jay Electronics yeah. Camp and Rock Nation. Yeah. A lot of guys. Get me the album. It's been a long time. <laughs> oh, goodness. We're going to die soon. <laughs> Dude out here doing this dude out here. Shout out Omar Grant. Man, them dude, this dude out here doing shows. Still ain't had the album yet. Dude. <laughs> I was talking to you know uh, Curtis who runs the Shiny Green. He'd be with them sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know exactly. That's what I was telling Curtis the, the like the, the like the Thursday before Buku Fest, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm about to go meet up with Law and Jay and all them." I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, how is this dude? Doing shows, he got a seven show. I saw his little fly. He got like a seven show run. Because people still want to. It's like his shows are something mythical, man. It's like well, yeah, it's because he's he's really he's uh, on some Dalai Lama shit. Props to shows. him because he's like he's really following that that blueprint of like this is how I'm gonna do it, mm-hmm. and this is the only way I'm gonna do it. And when it's ready, it's ready. But until then, that's what you get. And then I'm gonna disappear. He he, very much of a Jay Z approach. 
Yeah. It makes sense why they're like he signed a rock, you mm -hmm. know, very much of a Jay Z approach. Yeah, because Jay wasn't Jay was gonna sign him, but Jay wasn't gonna pressure him to, because Jay knows why he signed him, because yeah. he's the the mythical. Oh my God, yeah. this album, it's there. We know it's out there. Yeah. Can you get it? And the only way to keep that myth up is to not drop the album. So, Fucking man. right, man. Fucking right. I ain't mad at him. Um, he could drop the album and fuck everything up. <laughs> wow, you're right. You're For right. Real. Like what if? I mean, After all this time, hypothetically, if he drops that album and it's not the shit. That's why Dre's never gonna drop Detox. Dre dropped that Compton album and it was great. I love that Compton album. Compton. Had Anderson Pack all over. That's what people like really first heard Anderson Pack and stuff. It was it came it came out like with the Straight Outta Compton movie. But okay, the album was called Compton. But Dre's never gonna drop Detox. But but An Anderson why? Anderson Pack is uh, I correct me if I'm wrong if I read this like there was like like basically. The this the, I don't know if the, the word would be rumor, but the theory mm. is that Anderson Pack was the guy who was brought in to write. It was like the new guy brought in to God, write for yeah. Dre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like how, mm. you know, such and such and it was writing for him back in the day. Yeah. Anderson Pack's like the new guy who's gonna write the the detox. If you have done tracks with Dr. Dre, you yeah. have most likely written songs that we for Dr. That Dre we haven't heard that yet. you either haven't or never will hear. What's or up with maybe that? Dre never even recorded it? You just laid a reference track for him. And yeah. he just did you uh? Did you listen to that new Dr. Dre Kendrick Lamar mashup thing that dropped? I I, I saw it like no, on the blog. I feel like I have to. I, I saw it like on the blogs. I don't know if it's official or not, mm -hmm. but it was like uh, I, I think it's like the Damn Chronic or something. Oh, I'm gonna have to see what's up with it. Yeah, that sounds tight. That sounds like putting Damn over like Chronic. Beats I'm not on my chronic music shit like damn. that anymore, man. I I need to get on. I like it mashups because I'm I'm working I'm working with Jamie now and. Uh, I need to get like he sent me a list Jamie of artists. Man, yeah, he sent me a list of artists last week, like similar artists. I'm like, yeah, I know who, like three of these people are. Yeah, I understand you. It's hard to keep up, man. It's, oh, oh, it is. There's there's so much music out nowadays. Like it's a ridiculous amount of music out. I have a spreadsheet with 300 artists on it with their top five songs, all the plays on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Nielsen SoundScan. Um, and I have it broken down into like what you can monetize off of that and stuff, and like. That's say I that, still need to add like a hundred artists to it. Man, say that again. You gotta like it's like people like spreadsheets, man. That's where <laughs> like it seems like it doesn't matter what business you're in. That's oh, where you yeah. make your money, man. I didn't think so. like me neither. Me neither. I'm, I graduated law school. I'm moving up to New York. First thing I asked my guy was like, and my guy's name is Adrian Nunes. That's who he, he yeah. hired me. He's a right. VP of A&R at Payday. He actually signed Pell to right. Payday Records, and he's also VP of A&R at Ultra International Music Publishing. Right. And publishing is like the other side of the music industry. Like yeah, we're gonna get the to that. Side, we're gonna... which is artists. You got the publishing yeah. side, which is publishing. So Adrian signed Beethoven to his deal. Honorable C Note, Molly Raw. Um, Wheezy, all these fantastic hip hop producers who mm. really craft like all the new shit, and that's, that's honorable. Cino is the one with honorable. Yeah, honorable Cino. Yeah, yeah. Dabby Molly Raw, yeah, yeah. Zayto, yeah, yeah. all those guys. And um, well, that's that's who brought me on to start working for him and really with him. So when I got there, he was like, "Look, I'm gonna send you my target sheet of like guys who he was looking to sign and stuff," and it was like a hundred, two hundred guys in his spreadsheet. And I'm like, a spreadsheet? Uh, like, you told me I didn't even need to bring a suit up here. Mind you, I brought all of them and never wore one the yeah. entire four or five months I was in New York. Yeah. But I, I walk in, I'm like, okay. So we're wearing baseball jerseys and, and Supreme tennis shoes, but we got spreadsheets. Yeah. Bet. Yeah. This is cool. Like, 
Yeah, it's like, like it's, it's a lot more technical than I thought it was going to be. Like yeah. you know, I thought it was you know some some real holistic grassroots. Like no, he's like no, I gotta I gotta formulate this because when I go to this when I go to the president Patrick Moxie and I'm mm. like I want to sign such and such. The first thing he's gonna ask is well how much is he worth? Yeah, same how much, man. Look how much are we gonna sign him for? Like <laughs> man, look same here. You can only you can only buy and resell so many pairs of sneakers before you realize that you got to come up with some sort of baseline formula. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like. This week I'm gonna buy this sneaker for fifty bucks in this condition, but I, if next week I buy the same sneaker for someone in the same condition for eighty, now I paid exactly. Now I paid. You gotta find some way to keep track of I it. I paid sixty five for both now. So now if the following week I like I go in between the fifty and eighty, now my median price is down again. But I can't keep going all over the place because mm-hmm. I, I, I never like. There's no long term mm-hmm. sustainability in just being all over the place. Exactly. You have to find a way to know what something is worth. It's yeah. essentially just evaluation. Yeah. So, uh, tell me, tell me more. Like, educate me. Educate anybody who. It, let's talk about the because like, we got the publishing side and we yeah. got the. Let let, without giving away too many secrets, walk me through the like. Let's say I'm trying. Yeah. Let's say I'm up and it's, coming. It's not even a secret. Like yeah. guys could Google this stuff. They just don't. I'm glad you said <laughs> that because that's what I kind of figured anyway. So let's but, like you trying to sign. How's that process go? You're trying to sign me. Um, okay. So I'm looking at you. Yeah. There's something about you that I like. Yeah. Whether it's you have a you know, a, a decent amount of streams on your stuff and you're unsigned, whether like I'm looking at YouTube and your live shows are crazy. Yeah. Whether like I've gone to your hometown and you're all I hear. Yeah. Or you're all on the radio or like yeah. I see you on a billboard, you know. For whatever reason I'm looking at you. Yeah. First thing I'm gonna do is get in touch with you. Yeah. Hopefully you have a manager. If not, hopefully you have somebody, you know, or like a lawyer or somebody who can like, you know, represent you on your behalf. But regardless, I'm going to be talking to you mainly and mm-hmm. hopefully talking to them as well. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about what you want. Like, where, where do you see yourself? What do you, what do you, what is your vision? Like, mm-hmm. if you could sign to any label, mm-hmm. what label would you sign to and why? Because that gives me a vision of, you know, what, what you want to be as an artist. Like, if mm-hmm. you tell me MMG, because I really like Meek Mill, then I'm going to get, you know, a Meek Mill sense from you. Mm-hmm. If you tell me, oh, I want to sign with Jay-Z because I want to be the biggest rapper ever, I want to be a mogul, I want to do everything, mm-hmm. then that, you know, they, I, I want to get an idea of what you want mm-hmm. versus what I want. And then if we can come to a, if if I feel like we're compatible, like if, and, uh, even before, like, we do all that, we're probably doing this in the studio. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go meet you in your element. Mm-hmm. I want to see how you work. Like, I want to see, you know, your work ethic, your drive, like, what type of beats you pick, what engineer you work with, what type of studios you like going to. Like, am I going to have to bring my strap to the studio and leave it in the car, or are we going to go somewhere professional? Like, I'm just getting a feel for you totally as an artist. And then once, like, you know, I feel comfortable with that and you feel comfortable with me, then we can start talking about, okay, well, look, if we're going to do a deal, what type of deal would you want? You want, like, you know... Most of my deals, like, well, not most. I try to structure all my deals with options because mm-hmm. that's where kind of the music industry started failing maybe about 10 years ago. They had a whole bunch of artists who they signed for a whole bunch of years mm-hmm. or a whole bunch of projects. Mm-hmm. And that's all well and good when the projects are selling. But if I sign you to five albums and the first two go stupid and the third one flops on his face, I'm in no rush to put out those last two albums. But you and, got me. But I got you. Yeah. And you can't record because you're in an exclusive recording agreement. You can't you can't put out shit for somebody else. You can't get out of the. Well, like, I can record. Would, I just. Well, yeah, you can record, uh, but we can't. We, you can't put it out yourself because it's ours. 
and we're we don't we're not in a rush to put it out because you flop. So then you get artists at an impasse, and it's like, damn, it's it's not good for nobody. The record label is just sitting here holding on to this artist that doesn't want to be here anymore because you're not dropping his shit, and the artist is stuck not being able to put his stuff out, and buzz is going down, and like you already had a project that flops, so now your buzz is all going down and down more so because. Give me an example of a guy in that situation right now. Right now. Um, hell, Rich Homie just got out of that situation. That's how Rich Homie wasn't like, Rich Homie Quan was big as shit, and then he just stopped dropping music yeah. for like two and a half years. Yep. He was trying to get out of his deal with Think It's a Game. It's not, it, they really go by like TIG, but yeah. when you hear that. But see, I thought that was, so, so that wasn't his label? No, Think It's a Game is actually a, really a clothing store or like a clothing like type of thing. It's like, it's like if Union Street or like Sushi had a record label. But it just so happened that they sound like original. Like they have YFN Lucci now. Like they're still doing their yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. See, but see, I, that's I, I, I'm familiar with them. But like I was always under the impression that Think It's a Game was kind of like. I thought Think It's a Game was a producer. I thought it was like <laughs> I thought that was like his uh, his trill 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 ENT, and nope. he was the first guy off a of trill ENT. No, nope. because I I know I know he signed directly to Motown now. I know Motown mm. thinks he's yeah, and you know he's. Apparently, like, Motown's uh, giving him the bag and you know yeah, trying like he, to get him back. Yeah, like he's like to where he was direct to, to Motown, at. like they're signed directly to Motown, mm-hmm. and like he, they're pushing him. Yeah, uh, I, like I, I heard somebody told me last week that it, they they heard his new album is insane. Yeah, it's great. Okay, I've heard some cuts off of it. Like when I was in Atlanta working with Ultra because he yeah. was doing a lot with Zaytoven. Uh. I've heard some of the stuff. He has great music, but he couldn't drop anything because he was at an impasse with his record label. He wanted to get out of the deal. They didn't want to let him out of the deal. So they either had to go to court or he bought himself out of the deal or whatever it was to get him out. Because he, either he owed one or two more albums and he didn't want to drop them on TIG. Mm-hmm. So whatever they had, if they paid him up front for all of those albums, which they probably did, yeah. then he had to pay back mm-hmm. what was due for the last two albums. Whereas if with the way that I structured my deals... Like, say I sign you for those five albums, but they're all options. Like, the all, all I'm really all you really have to give me at signing is the initial product, which is either an EP or an album or whatever it is. It's like a sports deal. Like, exactly. Team option. Team option at the end of the year. You give me this. We now we wanted to do well. That's why I signed you for a one plus three or a one mm-hmm. plus four or whatever. We want it to do well. When it does well, then we pick up the option album, which has a higher advance, and we pay you that advance, then you give us that. That does well, we pick up the next option album, higher advance, rinse and repeat, until one of them doesn't do well, or you don't want to be here, or we don't want you anymore, or whatever happens to make the relationship break down, and we don't pick up the option, then you can go, we can go, nobody's worse for wear. So, so, and... I've been perpetuating this 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 theory to people. So let me make let me let me clarify if I'm right or not right now. In essence, all the labels doing when they quote unquote sign you mm. is giving you a small business loan. Yep. To put out an LL essentially like an LP or an EP, which would just be like my first album LLC. Bingo. And then it's like you put it out. This business that you just opened, this mm. one album, makes back. Let's say you give me a fifty thousand dollar advance. Mm. I gotta make the fifty back for yep. you guys. Then, then we start profit sharing. Exactly. Okay. Yes. That's exactly how it works. See, I, it's Bingo. like, I was like, uh, I, I, man, I, I put that together like about a year and a half ago. I was thinking about the record industry and just talk, from talking to different people, and then you know, opening these businesses, going through that process with loans and whatnot, and talking to banks. And I was like, man, I'm really just like, it just sounds like the label is just basically giving out loans to people yeah. that they believe. And I was like, it's just a small, like it's a small business loan. Yeah. 
Now, the only difference is, and this is the next thing I want to get into because this is the, the part that I don't understand that I want to get some better understanding on. And I think a lot of, it seems like most young musicians, period, don't get this, is publishing. Yeah. Which is where the residual, residual long-term money comes from. So t tell me, explain publishing to me. Publishing, uh, every artist gets publishing, whether you're a rapper, whether yeah, you're a yeah, producer. Yeah. Like, if you make music, you get publishing. If you, if you, as long as you... Well, yeah, as long as you don't sell it to somebody. Like, if you sell somebody, you're publishing, they get your publishing. But it's just, it's automatically generated at the time that you make the song. Like, you don't have to file for it or anything. Okay, most, see, I didn't know that. Most you have to do is really make something that's called a split sheet. Okay. That, that confirms, like, how much of a percentage that everybody that was on the track owns. So... Every song is split in half. Producer, producer, artist. Yeah. Person who made the beat, the track, or whatever, and the guy who's wrote singing the, or spitting lyrics. Wrote the yeah, wrote the lyrical content. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and when you add other people to the mix, it gets split alongside of those halves. So, like, if I'm an artist and I put a feature on my song, if he does half the work, like he does half the hooks, half the verses, then he gets half of my 50%. Yeah. He doesn't get part of the producer's 50%, but he uh. gets half of my 50%. Just like same as a producer. You uh. bring the co-producer on, uh. he gets 25%, you get 25%. Or whatever y'all negotiate uh. based upon you know how much work was done. After that, it's, well, on the artist side, if the, you know you've been given it, well, really on both sides. If you've been given an advance by a company for a beat or for a song or whatever, the company's gonna make back what they put out on the events and then you go into what you call profit sharing. Uh. And that's really what publishing is. It was when you collect the royalties on it. Now, even after the record company makes back their events, they're still gonna bring in a percentage of the record to them. But that's when you start making your, you know, you start getting your percentage of the royalties as soon as they recoup that's what it's called recoupment yeah once they recoup on their events now as far as like the technicalities of it it's all called publishing yeah. but on the artist side we typically call it royalties mm -hmm. and on the producer side we typically just call it publishing yeah. now producer deals work similar to artist deals but differently because producers are evaluated on of course what they've made and also what you think that they're capable of making in the future so like if I want to, like, if I'm looking at Lil Uzi two years ago, and I know I probably can't sign Lil Uzi to a deal because Lil Uzi's... Calm um, down, calm down. Lil Uzi's with DJ Drama and Generation Now and all of them. Mm. If I hear this one producer making all his stuff, Molly Raw. Oh. No, no, we good, we good. Oh, and, you know, the little drop, Dabby Molly yeah. Raw. Yeah. If I know I can't sign Uzi... I can make damn near as much money trying to sign Molly to a publishing deal because I know that if Uzi's gonna blow up, Molly's gonna blow up right along with Uzi. So say you give Uzi, I don't know, they give him a million dollar advance or whatever for his first album or his, or his first two albums or whatever. Come on the back end, you can pay Molly Raw like a $250,000 advance and you're gonna... Like you're gonna you're gonna earn less of a percentage after recoupment from Molly because you're not doing that much to like push the record or whatnot, but you'll get a percentage because your your job as a publisher is to go out and collect the the money that's generated on his side because the record company's not gonna pay him the record company's like the, the record company's gonna pay his publisher and his publisher is gonna pay him if it makes any sense. To me. So who's it? Who is his publisher be? Like, okay. 
So the artist who has a song or whatever has a record deal. That record company gets first dibs on the song yeah. to make back the advance that they paid the artist and the advance they paid the producer. Yeah. After that, then they still get a little portion of the royalties and they meet out the rest of the entire pot to the artist whom they probably also control a bit of his publishing or the artist may have an outside publishing deal as well but all publishers do is collect that money after recoupment that's what their job is man a record man boy this shit is vicious yeah and it's all but it's not just their job to collect the money a publisher's job is also like sinks and stuff like that so to, to reach out to TV series and advertisements and getting the music in getting the music places where they're gonna pay way more for it than like you're gonna make off of streaming and stuff so, like when Jared did that Samsung commercial yeah. that's a sink yeah. like they paid the record company like a million dollars or some or whatever whatever they you know paid them X and X amount of dollars to use the song in the Samsung Galaxy commercial and that went along to recouping the advance that Jared was put out for the song and for his deal and whatnot. Okay, so let's let's do a hypothetical. Let's say artist A gets a a spot in a a thirty second AT and T ad, right? Mm-hmm. And they the so say AT and T pays five hundred thousand for the song. Yeah. So the five hundred thousand goes to the label, right? Yeah. And then we're like so like run it run it like like explain like uh give me a so like the five hundred thousand goes to the label now the rep that's the thing the 500,000 goes to the label but it all depends like how much the label keeps all depends on how much the advance was that they gave to the artist okay let's say they gave the li- let's say we got 500,000 for the song let's say they gave him a $50,000 advance they gave him a $50,000 advance then he's the already recouped and he's already going to keep the first 50,000 okay case. but what if he's already recouped 25 then the label's gonna keep twenty five. No, okay. They're if keep... he's already recouped twenty five, then once you bring in this five hundred, the label's gonna keep another fifteen to get back that. F- well, my bad, twenty five. No, yeah. they're gonna. Yeah, they're gonna keep twenty five. Cause you said fifty. Yeah, yeah the label's gonna keep twenty five. Okay, so now we got four hundred seventy five thousand. So where's mm-hmm. that go? Does that go to the publisher? The label gets a percentage of okay. it. Okay. Because they're the ones you know yeah. put yeah. the song out and did yeah. all the extra yeah. shit, and outside of that percentage, the rest gets sent to the publisher for the producer. And the publisher for the artist. Okay. Now, a lot of times the label, like you sign a label deal and you also sign a publishing deal with that label. So a lot of times it's just all in one house. So the label yeah. will just pay the artist out of, like, the label will publish the artist. Mm-hmm. So they'll just pay him directly. But they're also, but typically the producer isn't signed with every record label that they're putting out a song with. So the record label sends those payments over to Publish. the producer's publisher who's also doing a job and trying to get the music out there and, you know, get the beat on first take or whatever and shit like that. And they send it to the publisher. The publisher takes a cut of whatever, you know, they get, they charge for collecting all the money from places and things like that. And then they pay the artist. What are some prominent publishing companies that are, like, that are not... Sony ATV is the biggest music publishing company in the world. I mean, publishing companies also own, like, catalogs. Yeah, That's yeah. really the main thing that they do, yeah. is they own people's catalogs, yeah. whether they're dead or alive. So yeah, yeah. Sony ATV is, like... Sony ATV was, was already the biggest music publishing company in the world, but after they acquired the Jackson Estates, yeah. like, 43 or 47% of the Sony... ATV catalog, yeah. then they really became the biggest music publishing company in the world. Because so, when Michael Jackson died, he owned like 47% of Sony ATV's whole catalog. So you had like the Beatles, John Lennon, Elton John, Mike shit, James Brown shit, like a whole 
Mahalia Jackson shit. Like I got, I'm on a phone call with him tomorrow behind Mahalia Jackson Estate and trying to use some of her catalog in a film that's coming up. So that's really the main thing that they do. So you got like your Sony ATVs, you got Ultra Music Publishing, you got Cobalt, you got um, Universal International Music Publishing. All right, cool. So, ch- so chances are, if you sign to any of the Universal, the Universal labels, they're gonna try to get you to publish with Universal. Yeah. If you sign to if Sony, you sign to Sony, they're gonna try and get you to publish with. And Sony the smaller ATV. labels, then maybe they'll try and get you better deals with smaller mm-hmm. publishing companies. Exactly. Okay, that's cool. That makes sense. Um, so, I mean, so I, I, I have a better understanding now that you've explained. Yeah. It's, it publishing is just it's it's just it's a word that's used for too many things sometimes. Like it sounds like it. <laughs> Yeah, publishing means royalties, and everybody has publishing. It's just a matter of how you get it. Most artists get their publishing directly from their record company, whereas most producers have to go through their own publishing company to collect the money that they generate from multiple record companies and things like that. Because if a pub- if a producer didn't sign, like, an artist doesn't need a publisher as much as a producer does, because if an artist signs with a record label, they can probably just publish him and give him his money. Yeah. A producer needs a publisher to go out and collect the money from all the different places that he sent beats. Like, I'm getting a Def Jam check, I'm getting a Capital check, I'm getting an RCA check, I'm getting a, I'm getting a Tour check, I'm getting a, I'm getting a Sync check from Samsung. Like, that's the no, guys who yeah. So okay, for, when you and explain that's it, why they charge the fee. For when it. you explain it that way, it makes more sense to me. Yeah, and that's I guess that's why you see guys like Sunny Digital talking about mm-hmm. how messed up the record game is. Yeah. Or a TM88 or something like that. Because you got certain record labels who have no problem paying you for your reason. And you got those other record labels who are trying to hold out onto you. It wasn't that. Like, like they'll, they'll put a little line in the contract that your lawyer should have seen that he didn't see. That simply says, like... Um, you only get paid on albums, not mixtapes. No, or not even... Oh, yeah, that or like... Or like, um, producer won't get paid until artist deal is fully recouped. As yeah. opposed to like, artist advance is fully recouped. Yeah. Cause now that there's a difference between, oh, we paid you fifty thousand for this EP, yeah. and now your producer can get paid after we get back the fifty racks, or we signed you for one and three albums, and now the producer doesn't get paid until we have done all of the entire deal. Like they'll do shady shit like that. Like we're not gonna give you your royalties until this artist is completely done with his whole deal, and he just signed the deal last year. Yeah. But you made his biggest hit. But you need him to make four albums before. Before you get paid off making a triple platinum song, one line will do it to you like that. That's why I went to law school. <laughs> yeah, because that's kind of what TM88 was. That's kind of his complaint right now. Yeah. And is it uh, whose album that he. The album? Was, uh, he produced EXO Tour Life. Yeah, that's the one. EXO Tour Life. How you haven't seen a dime off EXO Tour Life? Hmm? <laughs> and I know his again, manager. Shout out my bro Dre. Again, he's a damn good person, but they're trying to, you know. Dirty Glover? No, oh, no he's, uh, he's a guy uh, from uh, he's uh, from Atlanta. But, oh my god, my face! Oh shit! Yeah, that's how it happens. Like oh, people can, my god, people can fuck you with one line, just buried in the middle of a little paragraph <laughs> that your lawyer definitely should have caught. It's not on you to catch it. It's what you hire your lawyer for. But he didn't catch it, and I show ass. So, so, so that's also why I want to work for the label side first, because I always want to work more so from the artist side. Just you know, you gotta learn the tricks, label. But I gotta learn them label tricks mm. before I do this artist side stuff, because I'm not. So you can really look out for your artist. Yeah. yeah. 
and thereby I look out for myself because that's my thing. Like my integrity costs more than any type of money, so I don't ever want one of my artists or a producer or somebody that I'm messing with on the legal side yeah. to say, "Man, why finesse me with this legal?" Shit? Ooh, like, yeah. I don't want that because I a lot. Don't want that because a lot of your artists, I'm a, you, a lot of the people you come into or are going to, I'm assuming, are putting a lot of their trust in you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a young guy. Like I'm yeah. just 25. Like yeah. I got my law degree when I was 24. Like. I'm not, you know, I'm not Johnny Cochran out here, but I know my shit. Yeah. And I know it well enough, and it's, it's apparent that I know it well enough, uh-huh. that if I get over on you, it's not like I made a mistake. Like, you're going to know that I got over on you. Or that, at least that's what you're going to think, because I'm qualified. Like, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. So, if I do you bad, that means I meant to do it. Yeah. So, I'm not trying to go out like that. Um... I know too many guys that have lost respect for lawyers and be like, because they tell me about these guys. They're like, yo, don't be like such and such. Because yeah. he let me sign this old fucked up deal and it, it cost me eight years of my career. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'll never be like such and such. Um, Yeah, that's real. Uh, Tell me this. Um, Are the day, because this is what, the first time I ever got interested in the music industry, not like, are guys still getting these big absorbent amounts for, for like producers? Are producers still getting like these big upfront like, Guys getting like hundred thousand dollar checks for beats and stuff. Yeah, okay. depending on depending on who wants the beat and like, yeah, yeah. I can I can definitely say that a guy like a Metro Boomin or a Mike Will yeah. has gotten paid a hundred thousand dollars or or more in an advance for a record. Okay, so what's the difference like between when Mike Will did that Miley Cyrus record? I was thinking what I was one. I know his advance was more than a hundred racks. So so here's my thing. When a producer gets an advance, how's that different than the the artist getting an advance? Nothing different about it. Okay. Okay. Nothing different about it. Whoever gives out the advance gets to recoup the advance, and then there's percentages paid out on the royalties left over. But that's it. It's the same exact thing. So no one's getting just paid out right for stuff? Um, I mean, you got your chance, the rappers of the world. Yeah. Okay. Explain. Explain that. Like, like, like when you're independent, you're not paying yourself in advance. Like, you're putting your own shit out. So when it comes back, you're getting a hundred percent. Like Nipsey. Yeah. All, all money in, no money out. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, that's why a lot of guys don't take like small deals. Like, if you try to, if you try to get a guy who's worth a hundred thousand dollars for a twenty thousand dollar advance, it's not gonna make sense to him. It's like, yeah, I could take this twenty thousand dollars and put something out. But I could also take my own $20,000 and put something out and make back all the money instead of you making back the first $20,000 and then giving me 75% for the for like the next 10 years. Like, forget all that. I'm going to just do it. That's why these advances sometimes are going higher and higher because these, these guys, these little guys are coming up with so much more money now that it just doesn't make sense for them to take $25,000, $30,000 for an album. Like, man, I could put that in my own shit and then drive my price up and then you got to give me... $150. Like, that's what it is about betting on yourself. That's what Pell did. He could have taken whatever little, you know, advance Leor was going to give him at the beginning of 300 and whatnot, but he probably wouldn't have got what he wanted. But he bet on himself a couple times, and now he's in a good deal that he wants, and it's like a partnership. Like, and, and it's, it's good. It's good. His his percentages and his masters are where he wants them to be. So, explain but you it have to, to have that leverage, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to create that's that in anything. leverage. Explain uh, uh, explain the term masters for anybody listening don't know what that means. Um, a master is the original recording of a song. So like a master is what you deliver to the record label like, yeah. to be put out. Yeah. And 
that a master is also like what is I guess you know copyrighted mm-hmm. so when you say that you own 50% of the song you own 50% of the master yeah like you don't own 50% of the touring you don't own 50% of like the radio play you own 50% of the actual like song itself the content exactly okay so there's different meanings to like what owning a song means sometimes uh-huh. which is what I try to tell people it's like you can have distribution of a song and not own the masters. Like, there's record labels out here right now. Like, you know, they they gave somebody in advance. They're pushing the song. They're going to make money off of it, but they don't own the masters. But there's, and there's also a lot of guys out here who, you know, are signing deals, and they're making a lot of money off the deal, but they don't own the masters. So on the back, like, the masters are what you really want to own for the residual income because that's, that's what the royalties come in off of. So, like whoever, I, I, like whoever owns the master to uh, what's it with the song? Uh, if you're on the master, you control it. Black skinhead is mm-hmm. probably making a ton of money because that's been in so many. Com- that was in that. Yeah. Was, 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 was in an AT&T commercial. Mm-hmm. Right after he put the song out and said mm-hmm. he wasn't gonna do, like that was to me that was one of the most ironic moments ever. Kanye's putting out this anti not for sale album and then literally the next week the lead single is in a fucking commercial. Of course it is. Yeah. Uh, so they gotta make money. Yeah, <laughs> and then it was also it was in the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, trailer. Yeah, yeah, like it was in like four things in that following year, and I'm like, man, you getting paid off of this? It's like when he said Life of Pablo was never gonna be on Apple Music, and then three weeks later it was on Apple Music. Yeah, after everybody then went and paid for their title subscription. <sighs> he got sued for that too. I think they had to settle out of court because they that's a legitimate claim. You out here telling people, yeah, my, my album's only ever going to be on title. It's never going to be on no Apple Music. It's mm-hmm. only going to be on top. If you want to listen to the Kanye West new album, go get title. Mm-hmm. And then 500,000 people going to get title and your shit on Apple Music in three weeks. Yeah, that's a cause of action, bro. <laughs> you got to pay somebody. That's crazy. <laughs> I love Kanye, but my, all over the place. <laughs> um, it's so, the price of genius. I guess, man. I guess. You, that, that's a good way to put it. Um, so I didn't... So besides Jared, are there any artists you're working with right now that you like really high on? Oh yeah, yeah. I love my little guy Nino Calvin. Um, shit, Nigel Bands is fantastic. I like Chucky Branch. I like Malik Ninety Five. Yeah. I like my guy Retro out of Atlanta. Um, a lot of people haven't really heard of him. He's he's kind of yeah. new. Yeah. Um, Asada Jones on the singing R and B tip. She is amazing James has told me about her fantastic voice I mean out of this world just oh man who else who else Jamie yeah (laughs) look man you you mentioned Nico and Nino I really like I like Nino a lot I think Nino is 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 is, Nino's poised he's our best he's he's, in New Orleans he's our best bet for like a like like a like an actual street rapper like gangster rap music and I like Nico Pants, man. Nico Pants got such great energy, man. Did, you were at the, you were at Buku, huh? Yeah, I saw it. Man, I so I told him after the show, I'm like, it's so awesome because their 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 team, we stay lit. It's like they did the first two songs and it was mm-hmm. L's and B, and then Nico comes out halfway through the set, and he's like, he's a bigger dude, you know? He's yeah. A, he's a bigger dude. He's got big energy, and he dresses like the part. Like yeah, it's like. It I, reminds I, me I, of our version of like a third. Yeah, or yes, like and uh, and not 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 to compare, you know, but like mm. I get what you're saying, like if, mm. like the, the, like comparing ASAP. That yeah. energy, like when I when I see that energy, like it reminds me of a first show, and I look and I see this big black dude with yeah. the, with a deep voice, yeah. and it's going down. Like, that was my next remark. 
so I find like I think people underestimate having that unique how important having a unique oh, voice is having a voice is everything there's so many people with bars but if nobody wants to listen to your voice you are assed out and I'm sorry that's why you just gotta be a ghostwriter. like or, there's or, a or, lot of people who or, can or, write amazing songs or your, or your voice is just not distinct yeah you have to have a distinctive voice like you you can't sound like everybody else but you also can't sound like nobody nobody like you like, know what I'm saying <laughs> for voice yeah. Uh, Young Thug. I was, I was going to Thug, Rich Homie Quan. Mm-hmm. I, I, Rich Homie Quan's got that. Trippy Red, or got, a little Uzi. They all have distinctive, distinctive voices. That are that other people are now trying to yeah. mimic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even when and when they mimic them the right way, yeah. it's still not the same. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's like how Designer and Future sound the same, but then as you've got to listen to Designer more and more so and more and more so, you're like, you don't actually sound like Future. You just sounded like him on that one song because you was talking about bras in Atlanta and we was all like, who is you? But and Future was like peak, like Future was like literally yeah, peaking fe- at that time. Exactly, Future was peaking. So, so him so having all you heard, him having another hit song mm-hmm. would have made sense. But now you look at it, it's like y'all are completely different. But yeah. you have to have that distinctive voice. You have to, have to. Same thing with producers. You have to have a sound. Like I, I don't know what it is, but it just like. We're in the era of the producer tag. Like, if you have a hot beat, find a way, find some girl to say your name or some guy or some distorted voice. Make yourself a little tag, cause that's how people are gonna know you. Like, if you make fire beats, like that, that can get you. That can get you. Like, hearing the right producer tag at the front of a song will make people listen to it. That's why so many artists are going out paying twenty thousand. $25,000 just so you could hear Metro Boomin want some more on the front of their song because this is going to make you just start listening to it. Yeah. Like, be- before you listen to something that doesn't have a tag on it. Like, if I if I open if I open a track I've never heard and I hear, that'd be Marley Raw, I'm, I'm going to sit there. I'm, I'm going to listen to the first minute just to see where that beat is going and see where somebody's going because I know Molly makes fantastic beats. What's his going. big, what's, is it he or she? Oh, he. Big, um, he's, he's Uzi's main producer. He produced like Money Longer, Money Got Longer, Speed Got Longer. I'm trying to. So he has a tag at the beginning of that song. Mm-hmm. That 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 be Molly Raw. I gotta I gotta re-listen. I've never heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, are any of those guys like an honorable C note at the beginning? Of, um, see, I've heard that one. I've yeah. heard uh, uh, the TM88. That their their <laughs> thing is the, the 808 Mafia. And then they also have that 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 that. that the distortion that yeah. they put in everything. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and Tarantino then, and those guys. Yeah, yep. Southside. Yeah. Um, but that'll go a long way to getting your track heard. I tell guys that all the time. So what's you so 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 like if I'm I'm I'm, I'm listening to this right? Mm-hmm. What's what's your advice to me? Like I'm on the other end, like hanging on every word right now because this is what I'm trying to do. I'm either trying to be you, mm-hmm. or I'm trying to get signed by you. What's what's what's, what's like what's some what's what's your Tidbits of advice. Get out there. And by get out there, I mean, like, be on the scene. Like, if you got to open up for somebody, open up for somebody. Like, if you're an artist, open up for people. Because like, the, the easiest way to get a fan is you being there in person. A DJ can spin your song a million times. But if somebody sees you perform your song and they like it, that's how you create a fan. And even more so than that, like, go to other people's shows. Get influence from other people. Be nice to your peers. Like, have foster constructive relationships. Don't be for no reason. Don't just hate. Like, just 
even if they're completely different from you and you don't like their music at all, just find a way to coexist, things like that. Go to seminars, go to conferences, go to panel discussions. Talk to people in different roles in the music industry. Like if you're an artist, there's no reason you can't have a conversation with a lawyer or an A&R or an executive or somebody in press or somebody in marketing. They can all teach you something about how to get where you gotta go. Like you have to really take it like 24 7 365 eat sleep and breathe this shit because there's less spots in the rap game than there are in the nba than there are in the nfl the mlb the nhl i really think about it like you got 32 teams in the nfl 53 man rosters so by 1500 guys getting paid minimum 80 grand a year there there are not 32 record labels that you want to sign to as a rapper <laughs> Yeah, right. Those thirty, and if there were thirty-two, they don't have fifty-three roster spots. And so they, that's how you got to think about it. Like, and if they did, they're not giving you eighty grand that you don't owe back. And <laughs> there's way more people that can rap than can go to the NBA or the NFL. Like you know, you're not about to go to the NBA when you end up five five eleven. When you five eleven, you're like, oh, I bet the NBA shit ain't working. Or even better, like when you like not the best guy in your adult exactly. your adult men's league. It's simple stuff. Yeah. Like those guys get weeded out really fast. The rap game isn't like that. You have a million people coming for like a hundred spots. Be- and it's and it's and it becomes real subjective. Mm-hmm. Whereas sports are more oh, yeah. uh, it's more sports, objective. It, it doesn't matter where you're from in sports. If you're a great player, we can have a whole team of guys from New Orleans. If we win in the championship, it don't matter. Yeah. The industry is different. As an A&R, I can't sign 15 guys from New Orleans. I would love to. That's why I really like want to be like somewhat of an independent A&R yeah. so I can get people from different places and put them in different spots. Like I want to sign somebody to a RCA and sign somebody else to an MMG and sign somebody else to an Interscope and things like that. Because... Being an A&R, that would, like, just for one label, that would limit me. Like, I can't sign all, everybody who I want. So if there's only room, like, like for Atlanta right now, Atlanta has the most available roster spots in the game. Everybody can sign any, somebody from Atlanta right now, and it won't be looked at that bad. But if there's, like, you can't three go, guys, like if there's, if there's two or three guys popping out of Baton Rouge, you can't go sign seven other guys from Baton Rouge. Like, it's not going. It's not going to work. Like, certain times, like, there's a cap on how many hot people can be out at one place at one time. and Because of market. That'll bite you. It's always, like, you have to care. I mean, not just care about creating content, but, like, care about the business of it. You have to create content in a smart way. Like, it's not just about being creative. You got to be creative with a purpose. Like, not saying you got to make songs at all times for like you know a specific certain purpose but have something in mind like when you're making a song like oh where would i where can i envision this song being played at like is this going to be the joint that i come out to at my concert or is this going to be like an introspective joint that i play in the listening section like is this the club banger or is this the the ladies man joint like you got to think about stuff like that but that's that's the advice that i would give to you to you or any artist or anybody who's trying to be in the music industry study it and study all parts of it at all times because it never stops there is no oh i wake up at nine i go to the office i get off at five then no there's none of that i can get a phone call at 1 30 in the morning oh come to the studio and i'm gonna go because nine times i him, somebody's calling me at 1 30 in the morning there's something really really good going on in the studio and i don't know who's like i'm not finna ask all those extra questions. Who's there? What's going on? I'm just going to go. Because that's how magic happens. You got to do it.
Man. Shit, that's how all this shit started. Jerry calling me in the middle of the night. Hey, bro, I'm mixing and mastering the album. <laughs> that's crazy. That's But you're right. That's that's how it happens. It happens in moments like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, people, I tell people all the time about luck. Like, all luck is is just being ready because you can't you can't you can't control the timing yeah you can't you contr- be ready you can control if you're ready or not and that's all luck is luck is not like i bought a lot like i bought a lottery ticket that's chance i, I equate yeah. that more to chance like you can't be ready to win the lottery exactly <laughs> but if you like if the luck element in getting signed is mm-hmm. you know when leo cohen happens to be in new orleans for 24 hours just to use him as an example yeah. He may decide, like, you know, I'm going to listen to local radio the whole day. Having your song mastered, edited, playing. Having a clean version of it. Because it's playing every day in the 4 to 5 o'clock hour, you know. You're ready. Yeah, that's the luck. That's the luck as opposed to, like, bumping into him, freestyling for Mm -hmm. him, and him being in a good mood. Yeah. You know, that's not really luck. That's just chance. That's chance. Yeah. That's how I got my job. I got my job at a midnight show at South by Southwest last year. It was on March 13th. Never forget. Tell that story. Man. No, March 16th. Mm -hmm. For some reason, Jared, Chris, and Thomas decided last year at South by Southwest we were going to do six shows in one day. (laughs) Yeah. So at the sixth and final show, we are exhausted, tired. We didn't walk drug pelican cases all up and down Austin, Texas. So it's midnight and I see this young like Latino looking guy who's Adrian Nunez now. I yeah. guess I know him now. And this old white guy. Like well he's not old, he's fifty one, let me stop. <laughs> but like older looking white guy with all silver hair. And of yeah. course he stands out because he's like six two and he yeah. has all white hair. And it's a hip hop show in South by Southwest in the middle of the night. So Jared's performing and Adrian comes over and starts talking to me. He's like, yo, what's up, bro? Like, I, I see you with Pell. Like, what, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm in law school. Yo. I'm, mm-hmm. about to, I'm about to get out. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do, you know, some music law shit. I'm just not sure exactly, like, how I'm going to go about it. He's like, bro, I'm a lawyer and I'm an A&R. Like, what's, what's good? Like, what, what you, like, what, what, what do you, like, what do you see for yourself? And I'm like, man, if I could have your job, that's exactly what I would want to do. I've always wanted to go find artists and help them you know create and develop them mm-hmm. into what they should be but I also want to you know make sure that the deals are right and be able to write the deal myself and make sure it's not some fugazi shit going on and nothing like that like I want to and then also as a lawyer that's, that's my backup plan yeah. if music doesn't work out I can go do corporate real estate and still not be broke <laughs> yeah, that's a good point that's a fucking solid point so he <laughs> sends over Patrick and at the time I didn't even know who Patrick was like I just know that agent's a lawyer and I don't know who he works for at the time like I don't know none of it so Patrick comes over and we start talking about jazz he starts talking to me about like New Orleans and the history and he starts asking me about like you know like up and coming artists and like what I think about like the new wave of hip hop and stuff and eventually he's just like hey you want to come work for us or something I'm like well who who are y'all like I don't even know who y'all are Patrick's the president of Ultra Music and the executive vice president of dance at Sony Mm-hmm. Man's 51 and worth like 95 million dollars and I had no idea who he was when I was talking to him but that's luck that's the white silver hair guy yeah okay cool but that's luck like yeah. you were saying yeah. I'm there and you ready I, I skipped a damn test I was supposed yeah. to take to go to South by Southwest and I was ready I was in the position that they needed me to be in because yeah. little did I know they were there to sign Pell like, because Payday is a subsidiary yeah. of Ultra. They were there to sign him. They signed him, like, three, four days later. Like, this happened Saturday night. Pell was signed by Wednesday. 
and I had a job offer on the table for immediately after graduation. Just like that. I don't go to South by Southwest, that doesn't happen. Despite all the law school, all the nights in the studio, all the work I've been doing, if I'm not in the right place at the right time and ready, shit don't happen. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My man. Yeah. So that's that's really how that happened. And the rest was history, but that's that's the story, bro. You got it. Yeah. That's why I say be there. Yeah. You got to be out there. Like You never know when you're going to meet the person that changes your life. And when you're out there, don't be out there looking silly. Like, I wasn't going out to South by Southwest to play. Like, that was a sick show that day. I could have been pilt, but I wasn't. <laughs> you said something earlier about the, the bottles and the blunts in the studio. And it's like, I've been in those, I've been in those sessions with friends. Not, mm -hmm. not, not a slight of any of my friends if they hear this. But it's just like, I never enjoyed yeah. that. Like, like people have been trying, people get, try to get me to go to the studio all the time, like late at night. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm a little, I, I say I'm a little older, but I'm older than I was when I was going to the studio five yeah. years ago. And it's like, man, if it's just to sit around and smoke weed, like, I'm I, not even here. For I'm cool on that, like, cause it's like, yo, I don't, I don't need to be in a music studio at two a.m. smoking weed. Like, mm -hmm. hell, I could just be smoking weed at my house. Exactly. You know, and especially cause the studio, like, I, I have respect for the studio. You don't be walking in and out. You don't be make. Mm -hmm. You don't make a bunch of noise. And there's an engineer in here. Yeah. Like, yep. there's somebody's money in here. Like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, yo, you paying money to come in here and play around. That's yo. Why I don't, that's why I don't be doing free studios. Yeah. But homie's like, oh, yeah, I'm just go with my homie. I'll be recording for free. I'm like, nah, I want to meet up with you when you're paying for this because that's when you're going to try to get your money's worth out of this. And it's no slight. Like, and, and, it's, and it's not true, like, across the board. Like, I, you know, I try and give guys their chance and, you know, see what their work ethic is like. Because there's some guys... Who they create bomb ass music, high and faded, and it's like a party atmosphere in the studio. But that's few and far between. You'll give guys some rope, but yeah. It's a, but like, when I see yourself hanging with it, like yeah. I'm, when I see you hanging yourself with it, I'm not about to sit there and wait on you to hang me with it too. Like no, nah. nah, man, I feel. And that. I've done that to guys, like, and they, you know, they felt a little type of way about it. But I had to talk to them. I'm like, look, don't call me to pull up at the studio at one at one thirty in the morning, and it's all your homies and a whole bunch of girls. And they don't really know your like. I can tell that this is just like the setup. Like y'all just trying to run something. And I'm like, I know you want me to hear this track, but you could just send me this track. Like yeah. bounce it down and send it to me. I don't want to come here and go to a party in the studio just to hear a track or just to watch you record or something like that. Like unless we're really getting work done, unless I can like, cause that that impedes my like. If, if say I want to tell you something about the track, but we got 16 other motherfuckers in here who's not in ours. But think that they know what they're talking about, and they your friends, and you know you respect them and you care about their opinions. So I can't just like step on their shit. So when they tell you something, I just gotta sit there and deal with you going through all these other opinions until they all finally leave. And I'm like, hey, actually, you should like this just impedes my process. Like when I could have just told you, hey, don't use that much auto tune. Pare it down right now. Now I gotta wait a half an hour until you get all their damn comments out the way. Like I don't want to do all that. <laughs> And that's a valid point, man. Like you're saying, like I like I feel you. Like there, there's it's work. It's your job. There's a time and place. <laughs> like there's a time and place for, for the so for like the 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 intermingling yeah. of it. And then there's a time and place to get to work. It'd be like yeah, you, you know, there's not forty people at Lakers practice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you're not a coach or a player, get the fuck out. Like, yeah, for real. <laughs> That's how I feel about the studio. If you're not a coach or a player, get your ass out. Like, yeah. maybe like one blunt roller, just so we don't have to do. That. <laughs> but 
that one down little brother who's not who's gonna sit in the corner and not say nothing. Cool. I'm not saying you can't have your homies, but like, you know, time and place. There's different homies for different things. Like, yep. different girls for different things. Yep. Like, I'm never gonna tell nobody. That we don't mean nothing right. by that, by the way. <laughs> we don't mean nothing by that, by the way. We don't even mean nothing by that, by the way. Gotta not, clarify like, that. I never tell an artist, like, oh, you can't bring your girlfriend to this. Like, nah, if that's, mm-hmm. your, if that's your girl, that's your wife, that's your lady. I mean, or even if that's, like, not quite your that's the girl she, like, really talked about. Like, mm-hmm. No, that's totally fine. But don't be trying to meet fees at the same time that you're trying to work. <laughs> and the same for, like, and it, the reverse happens for girls. Like, she really likes this guy, and... He's trying to be her manager. Oh, that's and she didn't brought him in the studio session. And I'm like, man, like now I'm trying to balance the awkwardness between like you may think I'm trying to get at your girl because I'm attractive, and the awkwardness between like you think that you know what's better for the business than I do, but that's because you fucking her. <laughs> like I'm not. <laughs> the flip side can happen You're too. You're like, fussing with Ike Turner. There's <laughs> the same reason you don't be. Dating the secretaries and shit at work, like <laughs> it's the same reason. Like it's work and it's pleasure. Like it's, there's boundaries and you have to have the boundaries to it. Yeah. Must. Well, I appreciate you coming through oh, on such short notice, man. Like this is, I think, ain't no thing. A, a lot of the. Uh, if a you lo- got some more questions, we could always do a part two. I'm oh no, look, it. man. I uh, I, I'm definitely the. I'm definitely gonna have you and a couple of other guests I've had recently double back because. Mm-hmm the format of the podcast has changed a bit and it's like it's kind of more of a like this is what I'm doing now this is mm-hmm. what I'm doing in the future so I always want to circle back like I want to circle back with Nesby Phipps you James uh, I gotta get Pelt on here uh, Phipps the man shout out Phipps yeah but it's just I, 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 I everybody's we live in the YouTube era like learning on YouTube we talk about <laughs> this all the time like if I could go back I probably wouldn't have gone to college I'd have just pick some shit like if I was 18 now I'd pick some shit I'm interested into and just use the internet to learn about it yeah uh, and I these are the conversations that I, I think a lot of people don't now it seems they're having more but for a while you know and I, in our industry as well nobody wants to give up insider knowledge they're afraid to lose their, their place at the table but it's like yo if you're worth what you're worth you're gonna be worth what you're worth exactly if you're, you if can't you're, give away your entire worth yeah, through your mouth yeah <laughs> like, like like you said earlier like you you can Google this stuff. Mm-hmm. You can Google this information. You can. Yeah. I just think uh, it's just sad. most people need to hear it from someone in, in, in that kind of capacity. Yeah. yeah. No, that's very true. I wish I, you know, could have spoken to an A&R or a real music executive before I was like 24 years old. Like, yeah. I met like two or three, but same here, I was man. on my level, like doing the same exact thing that I wanted to do. Like when I met Asian, that changed my life. I was like, bro, you're like 28 you're black and Dominican. Yeah. You went to Ivy League school, went to law school, worked for Sony Music. Now you work like for a label, and you don't just do law. They let you do like the real music too. Yeah. You're every, you're everything I want to be, and that's all it took was seeing somebody. Cause I didn't. I mean, of course, it's what I always wanted to do, but I didn't think it was possible to be an A and R and a lawyer at the same time. And then here comes this A and R lawyer. I feel, I, same thing, man. I, like everybody I've ever worked for in in retail is like in the mall. It was like mall managers, but like mm. all the independents I worked for, first store had never opened a store. Like I have actually had, I actually, I've always had more experience in my field than the people I worked for. So it's like I was hoping to learn something, and it's like mm. they really, 
in the areas I was trying to learn something, they didn't have anything for me. Yeah. They taught me other things, but they didn't have anything for me in the area, you know, of expertise. Yeah. I've always believed that if you've been doing the same thing for like 10, almost 15 years, you should be good enough at it now that you can do it for your damn self. For real. For real. I can't work for somebody in the same capacity for like 30 years, like our parents did and shit, just trying to get a pension and shit. Because I'm like, if you've been doing this for 30 years, you should have your own company doing this shit because you're an expert at this Yeah, like if you're an accountant and you work for some accounting company, you know, accounting firm. Hang up your own shit. I'm not saying do it five years in the game, but once you're good enough and you've saved up some money and you know exactly how to do this shit, save up some money, start your own business, and find somebody else with a skill set. Teach them. And keep doing it like that because there's no, like... I can't spend my whole life working for somebody else. That's dead. <laughs> yeah, that's a that, that that you know. I think that's a that's a that's a flavor for for different people. You know, some unless, people. You unless they're trying to give me like super M's, like I just can't. And even then, I'm gonna sit there and be like, I'm getting the super M's, but you got a B. Yeah, and I like, know how to get that B. Yeah, I'm gonna take like I'm gonna take <laughs> take a million a year for two years. Have my take my take my million I saved, and then mm-hmm. now I'm gonna go chase you. Exactly. Yeah. Now I'm trying to get a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Should always be onwards and upwards. Um, where can people find you when the? Oh, um, uh, Juan at Pellier dot com is my email, or like j dot nat at gmail dot com, j dot k n a t t at gmail dot com. Um, Instagram at jy underscore seventeen. That's the number, like one seven. Um, I, anywhere, bro. Just look me up. I'm, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. So if anybody is looking to get an or A&R, stop by, holla at Cody. Yeah. Cody. <laughs> yeah. So if you're looking to get your music heard by an NR, now you know one. My man yeah. Juan. Uh, you got my email address. I accept music every day. All yeah. So day. there's no there's no excuses after after today. You know you can't say no one heard it. Dig. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it, man. All right, man. It was a pleasure. It was really a pleasure. It's you, truly. You, you, and, you, too. and you educated me on some things that I've been like dying to like pride somebody about i got a book i could give you how to um oh wait hold God. up hold up pause message what is it um <laughs> it's either how to make it in the music business or like how the music business works it's by donald passman donald passman p-a-s-s-m-a-n just look up that name and that'll be the first book that comes up but that'll teach you everything you need to know and bet. more bet this is life before and after the internet with cody and juan nat and we are signing off